I remember the first war, the way the sky burned, the faces of angels destroyed. I saw a third of heaven's legion vanished, and the creation fell. I stood with my brothers, and watched This is a song from Zeo called Ravage Ritual. And actually, it's not really about hell. Surprisingly, there aren't many Christian hardcore songs, that I know of anyway, that talk specifically about hell. Lots of songs about end times, very few about hell itself. But this song, at least the beginning, talks about a theory of why Satan and demons exist. The rebellion and Lucifer falling from heaven. And it makes me think about how Jesus described hell in Matthew 25 the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. If we did some sloppy exegesis on this one line, it would seem like humans were never meant for hell in the first place. I was watching a documentary recently called Hellbound that mostly interviews several white men, Paul Young, Brad Jerzak, Mark Driscoll, Rob Bell, and others. And the documentarian, Kevin Miller, reflects on his own thoughts on hell. I think sometimes that the notion of hell as eternal conscious torment, as a place where you're literally, in some people's versions of it, tortured for all eternity, it's the worst possible place you could ever be because the only person who could save you from hell is the one who's essentially created the situation that's put you there. And I mean, people try and get God off the hook and say that people choose to go there, but you still don't really get away from the fact that the place exists. Then he says this question that I always wonder about. And I guess the thing I really struggle with is who would willingly choose that fate if they actually knew the choice they were making? Who would choose hell? There are lots of provided answers for this. People who don't want to be with God, who love their sin, who want to make their own choice. People often say that hell allows us to have free will. But if hell is eternal conscious torment, if there's a punishment associated with one of the choices, is it really a choice? It's sort of like when your parents say, you can make the choice to get bad grades, and I will make the choice to ground you from your phone and your friends until they get better. Yes, it is a choice. Sort of. Today we're going to hear from a couple of people who would make the choice of hell over heaven, and why. And one of them is my lovely co-host, D.L. Mayfield. Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. My name is Crispin Mayfield, and I'm a therapist. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And together we discuss evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This is season six, and we're calling it Shame Core Records. First off, I wanted to say thank you to those that sent in voicemails about hell. Like I said last time, this is a conversation that isn't often allowed, or, or at least doesn't happen very often in the church. 
So growing up, learning about hell, uh, it was definitely the place that you needed to be saved from. Um, I grew up in a pretty fundy church, and so there was a lot of conversation about what hell was like, why it was scary, um, why there was going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth and like all that classic hell conversation, and that it was a place you really didn't want to go to. Um, I think most of us went through a middle years phase where all of a sudden we were, you know, saying the sinner's prayer over and over again because we were just worried that we did something wrong. And then when I was in Bible school, I remember a friend saying that if God is omnipresent, how could God not be in hell if we're there? And that was my first like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> kind of thought process about what is hell and what do I think about it? And how does it work in scripture? How does it work in uh, practice and whatnot? And so that was an interesting uh, concept to try and wrap my head around. And this is kind of off topic, but um, it made me think about this concept I had when I was younger, that if God can only hear us when we are pure and holy, how can he hear us when we are um, repenting of our sins? Because we're not pure and holy until after we've said the prayer, and then, you know, he has to forgive us. So what happens in between? How does he hear us if we're, if we're still not pure and holy? That was Lisa, one of our faithful listeners, who brings up a wonderful question. There are a million questions like these about hell. Like, if I go to heaven, but my kids go to hell, how could I ever be happy? And if we choose hell because we love sin more, isn't that the very oppressive nature of sin that Jesus came to have victory over? Hi, this is Rachel from Kansas. I was raised on the idea that I was born bad into sin. The kind of sin that a holy God could not stand to be in the presence of. His very being would be repulsed by my sin. And that unless I became saved, I would never be able to be in his presence. Even though I went through the processes multiple times as a child of doing what I thought I needed to do to become saved, I never shook the idea that I was born repugnant, that I was bad. And it never made sense to me, really, that God could love me if he couldn't stand the sight of me just the way I was when I was born. I still think I don't think that God loves me. I know this dilemma well. I can go to hell, which is obviously a bad option, or I can go to heaven, where I'm not really wanted. It's kind of like that feeling when you're a kid and you go to that other kid's birthday party, but you know you're only invited because his mom made him invite you. He didn't really want you there. Kind of like there's this party called heaven and God didn't want you there, but Jesus slipped you in through the back door. Or it's like Jesus, the friend of sinners, forced God to let you in, but God isn't at all happy about it. I know, theology nerds would say I'm doing all sorts of splitting of the Trinity in heretical ways as I'm talking, but isn't this how we end up feeling? Heaven is obviously better than hell, but it's not that much better than hell because we long for a place we are wanted and where we belong.
It does bring that question back. Even if you're not really wanted in heaven, why would anyone ever choose eternal conscious torment? Why would anyone choose to be separated from God forever in a painful isolation? Our church is slowly moving towards meeting in person again, but one holdover that I love is getting more comfortable with Zoom. So last Sunday, we got a chance to hear from Heather Beamish, a spoken word poet based in Toronto, Canada. She shared about her experience as a queer person in a non-affirming church and family. So I started going to church in high school when I moved uh, from living with my dad in a small town to living with my mom in the city. And to be honest, it very quickly became a really important part of my life. It was in church that I found community and purpose. I loved the freedom that I felt in worship and found myself devouring and inspired by the scriptures. So the next thing you know, I'm, I'm a youth leader, and then uh, I'm the president of the Christian club at my high school. And fast forward a few years, I'm graduating from Bible college, and, and I'm working at an Assemblies of God church for a few years. And then I come back to Canada, and I'm pastoring here, and I felt like I was in my lane. I loved reminding people on a weekly basis that their life mattered, that there was this bigger, universal energy and force that was rooting for them, that that God had plans for their life. So I was thriving in my church and community and and had built relationship with the administration at at high schools in the city that I was working in. And I was a 27-year-old female pastor who was still single. And I had all the church mamas and aunties and grandmas always asking me, trying to set me up the weight of the questions that I had around my sexuality at that time, that the weight that I was carrying all by myself was starting to eat away at me. And it was becoming harder and harder for me to ignore and avoid the questions I had around my queerness. So I was like, okay, um, I've tried for years fasting and praying and rebuking and ignoring and all of the, all of the things I could think of. The disillusionment and loneliness and self-hatred that I felt in that season, that was real. And the next six months of my life were packed with counseling sessions spent renouncing the demons of homosexuality and prayer and fasting and isolation. And in the end, in the end, I decided that I needed to resign because my mental health was at an all-time low and my body was was the one pain for the for my ignorance and my avoidance. And I just felt like if my options are keep on living this life where I'm feeling isolated and depressed and lonely and full of self-hatred or embrace and explore my queerness and go to hell, well, you know, hell didn't seem all that bad at that time. At least it would mean that I could first live. And that season of wrestling inspired this piece of poetry. Two days ago, my mom called me with tears catching at the edge of her voice. I thought it was my grandpa. I sat. But as I waited, embraced, and listened, I found out that she had just gotten back from church. She was shaken. She felt compelled. She needed to share. You see, during his 30-minute sermon, her 
cis, straight, middle-aged, white male pastor passionately explained to his congregation of 300 people why being accepting of the gay agenda was unloving. How allowing people to think that gay is okay is not telling them the truth of the Bible. It's not telling them the truth about hell. Well, mom, let me tell you what I know to be true about hell. Hell? Hell was the first holiday I spent away from my family because I was no longer allowed home. It was the violence from my church community of 11 years after I came out. Hell was when my aunt called me an abomination. It was the years of fasting and pleading with God to fix me. It was the seeds of shame and self-hatred that their version of the Bible nurtured. Hell? Hell was sitting through the sermons where the whole congregation shouted their approvals as the pastor listed off all the ways I was illegitimate as a queer person. It was the day I knew I had to leave. So you call me and try to scare me into submission by telling me about the tomorrow hell of your Bible, but you fail to see how your version of religion has ushered it in for me today. I wanted to take just a moment and let you know about a new podcast on the Area Code Network that Danielle and I have been listening to. It's called Wildwood Flower, and I'll let the host Jack Peterson explain it to you. Let me tell you about Wildwood Flower, stories of women who built country music. Each week features a different woman from country music's past, beginning with the earliest days of commercially recorded sound. I'm Jack Peterson, a lifelong music fan and country music outsider, trying to embrace a genre I've always liked but kept at a distance. I'm reading and listening as much as I can and sharing with you the stories and music from the stars and unsung artists working in a business that, to this day, excludes and undervalues them. Listen to Wildwood Flower on the Area Code Network, wherever you get your podcasts. True Talk, the furthest I dip my toe into country music is blasting some older Taylor Swift albums, but this show has been fascinating to learn about how gender and race were treated in this genre. As the calm, intentional pacing of an audiobook, and I promise it will pull you in even if you know next to nothing about country music. Okay, coming back to the question, why would you choose hell? I knew that Danielle had had some thoughts about this, so I figured we should just hit record and have some conversation about it. All right, so Danielle, we've been talking a lot about hell anxiety, and you have never experienced a worry about whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Yeah, I mean... I did everything they told me to do, so how could I go to hell? I said, just pray a prayer. I did the prayer. I, I went to church camp. I was on the worship team. I read the Bible every day. I journaled. Like, how could I go to hell? <laughs> right. I did what they said. 
I was so good at checking off the evangelical boxes. Uh-huh. Do you feel like it was like, I prayed the prayer and that's it? Or do you feel like well, I Well, I did... accepted Jesus into my heart. Okay. That was the language we used. Uh-huh. Which I don't know what that means. But I right. did it. I thought about God. I thought about Jesus. I knew we were right. I talk about this all the time. I was raised on missionary biography. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go tell the world about Jesus. But for me... Telling the world about Jesus was always from the beginning linked to like helping people too. So of course there's mm. uh, white saviorism <laughs> and you know all that right. in there, but it wasn't just we're gonna save people from hell. It was like there's issues going on in the world that we can mm-hmm. get involved in. I just didn't know that America had so many issues as well. Right. Yeah. And probably like there's then this rub that that you probably continually I know that we have felt as missionaries when we're like former former <laughs> when we were missionaries like coming into contact with people that are like well we just need to like save save souls from hell mm-hmm. and kind of realizing like we are like we're a little different than you yeah and I think even looking back at and I haven't gone back to reread some of these but this is something I will do at one point in my life is looking at these missionary biographies of women in particular so women in like the 18th and 19th century mm-hmm. who come from european backgrounds who go into other countries and usually are involved in some sort of justice work uh like for me that's the stuff that really stood out to me and what it stood out to me is like people are living in hell on earth like right now there are mm-hmm. people living through hell Mm-hmm. Let's do something about that. And we can, of course, like interrogate all the other stuff that goes along with it. But I think it's an OK response to say, like, people are living in abject misery, poverty, exploitation, suffering. Like, we need to do something about that if we love God, if we want to follow Jesus. Because Jesus, just, you know, he actually, like, got engaged in people suffering and wanting to better oppress people's lives. You Wait. know? Yes. <laughs> I what? thought you said, and better oppress people's lives. Make oppressed people's lives better. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's what stood out to me. And then kind of just getting caught up in the Christian machine or whatever. You're like, yeah, yeah, of course I don't want people to go to hell. Who would want people to go to hell? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't extremely real for me. And I think most of it was like subconscious. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just kept telling myself, well, if I do the right things and if I tell people about Jesus, like I'm doing my duty and then people won't go to hell and we can make things better, Mm -hmm. you know. Right, right yeah. now for people but it obviously comes to a point where you have to say like wait a minute so like basically everybody i know because i intentionally pursued relationships with people who were immigrants or refugees from other countries other you know religious backgrounds like mm-hmm. some point i had to be like wait none of them are converting that could be because i'm a terrible terrible missionary <laughs> could be because they were born in a part of a community where they're of another religion worldview background you know like all of that right uh and then i was like wait are they all going to hell i don't believe that i just don't believe that Uh uh-huh do you remember when i started having those thoughts yeah what was it so you went to bible college to be a missionary. To be a missionary. Mm-hmm. So what was it that like started to shift for you to think like, I'm not sure that. Yeah, I think, well, for one, I wrote a whole freaking book about it. Mm-hmm. called to stimulate or go home. Notes from a failed missionary and rediscovering faith. So read that. But if I could just distill it into one or two, you know, 
phrases is just like, what does praying a prayer have to do with Jesus? What does conversion mean? What does it mean when we are born in different places with different power, with different worldviews? Like, what does Jesus have to say to my neighbors who are Muslim, you know, Somali, Bantu, displaced people, non-literate community, you know, like, what is what does all this mean? And so I think I was like, well, I don't know if hell is real or not. Like, maybe it is real. Mm. But I think there came a point in my life where I was like, well, if it's real and everybody I love and I love them and I've met them because I'm a Christian and, and wanted to be involved in the world. Because you're following Jesus. Because I'm following Jesus. Like, if I fell in love with a bunch of Muslims, mm-hmm. um, then I would just go to hell with them. And that's just a decision I made. It's just like, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't see mm-hmm. how love would create any other condition of my heart, right? To say mm-hmm. like, well, I tried to listen to the Holy Spirit, tried to convert him. They were like, thank you, but no. Um, and let's just keep doing life together. Oh, well, that's such a Christian phrase. <laughs> they would never say that. Um, you know, like, let's just keep, moving on i'm like okay that i that there's no other future i can see for myself Mm, then i mm -hmm. will i will go to hell with them Mm -hmm. which if you read the scriptures is basically what jesus did (laughs) (laughs) right yeah he said like i will enter into your suffering your pain i will go to the depths of gehenna i will um you know i will address both the places of the spiritually dead and those like living in hell on earth, and uh, I will liberate mm-hmm. those who are in hell. Mm-hmm. So that's been such a powerful, transforming, uh, just like personal spiritual practice to meditate on on Jesus. But mm. it's so hard because from day one, literally day one for me, I've been conditioned to say the gospel is you accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, and then you go to heaven. That's it. Uh-huh. That's the good news. Right. And I think... I mean, I was I was listening to a I was watching a documentary about hell, Hellbound, and they're interviewing some someone from the Gospel Coalition who is saying like the gospel is all about hell, like the Jesus's work, like the whole problem, like everything is centered around hell. So if you take hell away, then the gospel isn't the gospel. What do you think about that? I think that that really misses just what you said, like. Well, I, mean, I kind of agree, but I think we have different <laughs> definitions yes, of hell. Right. So you go first. Well, I think like if we're talking about uh, eternal conscious torment when you die, if you don't say the prayer, um, and that is why Jesus was killed on the cross to appease God's wrath, mm-hmm. right, is another mm-hmm, piece of mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know how that connects with Jesus's stated mission in Luke 4 where he talks about liberating these people that are suffering. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty, the captive, to restore sight to the blind, and mm-hmm. set the oppressed free. Yes. I was like, I know you're going to jump in there, because uh-huh, uh-huh, one uh-huh. of us wrote a book uh-huh. based on that passage. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? And like, which I think leads to this question of, like, a lot of conservative folks get really stuck on, well, the way that I've heard hell defended is God is a just God. Mm -hmm. God cares about justice. So if you take away hell, this evangelical idea of hell, 
then you can't have justice. And I know that you care a lot about justice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also an important piece of this conversation. Like there are people like me that are really anxious about hell. And I want to know that God is going to be there, that God is going to take care of all of us, that God is going to not let anyone go. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are people that have experienced such suffering and I would say that's like a theme throughout scripture that people long for justice, right? Yeah, I think like I'm really interested in in making sure that this conversation about like hell and shame and anxiety and all that doesn't get too like metaphorical because like there are again, there in Jesus' day, in our day, mm-hmm. there are people living in hell on earth right now. Mm-hmm. And that is not how God wants the world to be. And I don't know much. Right. I know that God doesn't want people living in hell on earth right now. Mm-hmm. And I would like us, more of us, to channel our anxieties or whatever we have from growing up and being taught about eternal conscious torment uh, and maybe channel some of that into like, hey, we have this desire for people not to suffer. Like, mm-hmm. what can we do right now about that? And that's more what I see Jesus talking about. You know, so I feel like sometimes I've downplayed like Jesus never talks about hell. I'm like, well, actually, Jesus does talk about hell. But it's very intertwined with talking about, like, physical places, like the dumps on the outside of the city where people have to scavenge for food. It's very intertwined with this idea of, like, did you actually care about your neighbor here on Earth? It's all very connected to people who are already religious, already believe in God, Mm -hmm. and did they take care of their neighbor? And you've pointed this out before, like, when Jesus talks about hell, it has nothing to do with, like, have you been a good follower of God or not? Or like, have you, have you converted to Judaism or mm-hmm. not? Right. Right. There's no Christians when Jesus was alive and talking right. about the gospel. So, so yeah, it's, it's more to do with like, how are religious folks living out their commitment to love God and their neighbor? Mm-hmm. That's when Jesus talks about hell. And he says like, you didn't take care of people, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. You let them live in hell. Now here's some hell for you. So all of that is like pretty convoluted. I will say as like somebody who is not an oppressed person, I don't really feel like I have any place to say like you know you've been very open about the fact that you experienced childhood sexual abuse right mm-hmm. and so it's it's very common for people who've experienced abuse or been oppressed to be like i need justice mm-hmm. and for some people the concept of hell is very comforting right if mm-hmm. they think they're going to be in heaven and their oppressor is going to be in hell it's like finally you know mm-hmm. finally i'll get some justice and so i can't speak to that mm-hmm. because that I don't have that experience. I'm speaking as someone who comes from the dominant culture, who checked off every box, who by all accounts, according to evangelicals, I'm going to get in. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, I don't want in. Right. And I reject this because yeah. I'm trying to follow God and I'm trying to follow Jesus. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about the way that I grew up was like, think think about this, for example. Think about like the way that church outreaches function, right? Like middle class white people are in the church. They're saved. They're trying to reach out to people that are marginalized who aren't saved. Like, and what kind of like, how is that justice that like from like from this framework, it's people with a lot of privilege and power that have said the prayer that are or like I was I was saying earlier, like, okay, so Donald Trump can say the prayer. He can be a baby Christian and go to heaven and it doesn't matter what he does. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Um, whereas like then you look at like people that are oppressed that have never said the prayer or like refugees that he doesn't let into the country that have suffered so much. Mm-hmm. Right. That because they haven't said the Jesus prayer, 
aren't going to heaven. Mm -hmm. And this is what conservatives would say, like this, like God cares about justice. This is why this is so important. And I'm like, I don't see the justice in that at all. No. And, and I think it's important to just like say we have to look at the fruits. We have to look at the fruits of a method of salvation and conversion that is predicated on like one, you know, intellectual assent mm-hmm. to something. And it's not actually looking at what is your life like? Like, right. who are you actually living as if is in charge? And so for me, you know, again, growing up, going to Bible college, just having this simplistic and I would say heretical gospel just drilled into me at every point. It's it's still really hard to read the scriptures and be like, there's other ways of looking at this. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, uh, you know, as much as there is talk about hell and, you know, confess with your mouth, repent with your, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. that Jesus Christ is Lord and you should be saved. Like for every verse that's a, that evangelicals have really taken um, and put in an Awana. Yeah. And, and taught to us as Awana, <laughs> you know. There's there's just as many, if not more, verses about God's universal plan for salvation for all mankind. Mm. And we just skip over those. And so I guess I'm saying, like, if we can read the scriptures and just kind of blow past those verses and not take them seriously, like, and then take <laughs> a few very, very, very seriously about mm-hmm. only the people who say this prayer, inviting Jesus into the heart, giving heaven, I'm like, I'm just going to do the opposite for a while. I'm just going <laughs> to take the verses that say all shall be saved pretty freaking seriously for a right. while yeah and um and i think that then is actually harder for me because if god's will is that all shall be saved and i don't know how that's going to happen if there's purgatory if there's mm-hmm. you know you always love to talk about restorative uh, well i like restorative justice what were you thinking of? well i was thinking about orthodox people uh-huh yeah right yeah where yeah. god's love is a consuming fire and we will in God's presence, we will have to realize and deal with our unloving actions to our neighbors, and it will feel like a fire. Mm-hmm. So love will hurt because we will see how we've hurt people, mm-hmm. other people made in the image of God. And to me, that really resonates with how God operates yeah. in my life currently. Right. So it makes sense that God would be like that yeah. in heaven. And so, Right. I mean, it's like uh, our kids ask me, like, is Donald Trump going to heaven? <laughs> Which is quite a question, oh right? Oh, my gosh. They never asked me that. Um, and I said, I was like, well, maybe it's like this, like, and it was a summer day. So I was like, close your eyes, put your hands over your eyes, right. And keep them closed for a minute. And then I had them open them and I said, what's it like? And they're like, well, it hurts. It's too bright, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, maybe Donald Trump is someone that has been in, in a dark closet his whole life or like in a dark house with his hands over his eyes. And when he steps out into the light, like, think about if you've lived your whole life not seeing the sun, right? Like, how painful that would be. But eventually, your eyes will adjust. I don't know. Wow, you're such a better parent, because I would be like, well, maybe. But then Donald Trump is going to have to meet every single person that he hurt. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have to deal with them. Right. Well, that's what what Brad Jerzak has said. He's like, maybe there's this plan of, like, restorative justice of, like... There has to be like a reconciliation process, and, that's and very much who God is, right? And that like reconciliation process is inherent. It's not God punishing you; it's inherently painful. Like I've thought about like what if, what if uh, after we die, we become incredibly more empathic people? Like if you're an empathic person and you have to reflect on your life and how you've hurt people, like that is going to be painful. Okay, here's the deal: 
that's what it means to be Christian. To be a Christian means to be vulnerable. Mm. To be vulnerable to the hurts of the world and to end cycles of oppression and violence Mm -hmm. with yourself, with your body. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus did. Right. And it is incredibly vulnerable, incredibly painful to not mm-hmm. believe in like a literal hell of eternal conscious torment for people who are not Christians just like me. Does not mean I get to live my life willy nilly and do whatever I want or whatever people mm-hmm. told me would happen if you didn't believe in that kind of hell. It's like mm-hmm. my life sucks a bit more now, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to become more you know, empathic to mm. be more vulnerable to say, I think God wants me to see what's going on around the world, to suffer with people in solidarity, mm. to do what I can to be a part of ending it. And it's painful. Mm-hmm. It's so painful, but that's what it means to be a Christian. So I think when you start to think about hell and, and salvation, like for me, especially with my background as a missionary, it's from, from very early on, I was like, I don't want to proselytize people. I feel very called to just be a witness. Be mm. a witness to what God is doing in the world and be a witness to evil happening in the world mm, and, mm-hmm. and to do both of those side by side. And I love taking out proselytization because of power differentials like coercion, all that. That is not mm-hmm. how Jesus operates. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates. That's not how God operates. So it's just so much more liberating to be, wow, the Bible. If you, <laughs> if you read it in Jesus, looking at the gospel specifically, it's like the life of a Christian is about perpetual conversion to Mm -hmm. being more like Christ. It is not going out and trying to strong arm or bully or coerce someone to say one thing Mm -hmm. and then they're in. No, it's about the rest of your life will be spent trying to be like Jesus and to see his dream for the Mm -hmm. world come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where like that can like spark that anxiety of like, if it's not just a prayer, if it is about the way that I live my life. Oh, I just feel so jazzed. And you have anxiety? You have anxiety well, when I'm just, I say that? I'm, I'm thinking about it, about that idea. Uh, but I, I think it's so different because it's, I, I think, I think we have to, in a lot of ways, just throughout the whole like evangelical framework, if this is going to make, if we're going to make sense of scripture, and go with this idea of like, yeah, it does matter how you live, but it's not about like saying the prayer. Like so many people have gotten so stuck on like, do I believe it enough or well, why, do I? Why does it matter how you live? It doesn't matter for yourself exactly. It right. matters for your neighbors. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, we have to get our focus off ourselves mm-hmm. and be like, the way I live impacts other people. Right. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like that this hell anxiety actually really prohibits you from looking outside yourself. Yes. It's so... Well, I don't know. I shouldn't speak to it because I don't have it. Well, I think... I mean, I think... My hell anxiety is extremely other-centered. And to be... And just to be able to exist in the world and Uh to not, like, die of sadness and desperation, I had to decide, like, I can't believe in hell. I can't Mm. believe all my friends are going to hell. And if they are, I'll go with them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to say to keep going. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give other people permission. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Yeah. You know, but again, mine is very other-centered. Right. Well, and I think I want to say that that's not... Like, think about if you grew up in a church that tells you to worry about hell in these implicit ways, like they are doing the opposite of discipling you into the way of Jesus. So I'm not going to, of course, I'm not going to blame anyone, myself included, that has hell anxiety. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to say like this tradition not only creates psychological pain internally, but it also keeps us, I mean, like think about things like. And it's not a historic Christian position. Right. 
I like all the church fathers and mothers understood the totality of scripture. They're included like God's universal plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. Like many, many people are like, yes, that's obviously in scripture. And that's a part of what many, many people mm-hmm. believed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like many things we just evangelicals very specifically were like, no, we're not going to, you know, look right. at history. <laughs> history starts with Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there's way too much to talk about with this. Right. But I just, I think for me, I'm almost to the point where I'm excited almost to go back and read like the book of Acts as a former mm. missionary, as someone who mm. like, I wake up thinking about God. Mm-hmm. I wake up thinking about Jesus. I'm in constant conversations with God all day. Like, I'm a very, very religious person. Mm-hmm. So me saying I don't believe in hell the way I was taught, like, I'm not your typical ex-evangelical, right? right? Like, yeah. I'm mo- I'm more than ever. <laughs> like, my whole life is, is based on me believing that God is good, God is present, and that God wants my neighborhood to flourish. Mm-hmm. God wants suffering people uh, to not suffer. <sighs> Where was I going with this? You're trying to summarize your view on hell. Yeah, I, I guess think. I just want to say that it's also connected to experiencing the love of God. Mm. Um, it's connected to a holistic and lifelong way of engaging both with like huge systemic injustices and mm-hmm. also these small moments of paying attention to beauty and the love of God. So mm. for me, it's just a very holistic thing. I don't consider myself a heretic in any way, shape or form. And I, I'm assuming if, if you're someone like me, even like 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe listening to me talk, you're like, Oh geez, how can you just let mm. all of this Orthodox historic Christianity go? It's like, well, first of all, it's not that historical Orthodox. Second of all, it's because of my life spent trying to follow God. And now I'm excited to go back to scriptures. I do think it's okay to take a few years away Mm -hmm. when you've had these things so put into your conscience. It's really hard for me to read certain parts of scripture and not feel some of that anxiety. Um, And again, I don't know. Maybe there is a hell. Well, I think it, but I'll, I'll go there. It begs the court. Like what I'm you're sorry. Are you going to go to heaven with our kids? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to decide. Okay. Um, Oh yeah. Do you think they'll give me an option at the pearly gates? Yeah. They'll be like, do you want to go with Danielle mm-hmm. down, down, down? Or do you want to stay with your kids? Well, that would be interesting. That's too sad to think about. Well, I mean, I would. Ramona would go with me. I know. No prob. I know. Right. I'm like, our kids would go with you. <laughs> I would go with you. <laughs> And then, like, what if other people, like, what if everybody's just like, oh, we're all going to go to hell together? Um, and then God's like, whoa, you guys. <laughs> we're, like, having a heaven strike. We had a revolution. <laughs> I'd always, bring some pamphlets. I'd pass them out. We've the always talked about how we feel bad for any organization we're a part of because yes. we, like, poke it and we find the injustice and then we, like, try to turn every, like, mm-hmm. so you're going to do the same thing to mm-hmm. the afterlife. Um, but it does, the question you're asking is like, if hell doesn't exist, like if, if hell is the only reason we're telling people about Jesus, like what kind of faith is that? And it's I a think, horrid little thing. I think that's a really good question, which is kind of related to the question that I've been asking. Like, does Christianity actually bring healing and life to us or is it just something that gets us out of hell? And if we, if it all fa- falls apart when we take hell out mm. of the equation, then it's like, 
I love that. That's such a good way of summing it up. Yeah. So we've <clears throat> we've both taken hell, at least that concept of hell, where if you're not a Christian, you die, you will be eternally separated from God or just tortured or whatever for mm-hmm. forever, infinitely. Mm-hmm. And I know some people are annihilationists, which I'm like, that's not better. Don't <laughs> right. feel so good about yourself just because you're like, somebody ceases to exist forever and now I'm a benevolent Christian because I believe. No, you need to spend some more time thinking about that. Uh-huh. Would you want that for your kids? Would you want for that for yourself? Well, and how would you live forever knowing that your kids who you love desperately don't exist don't anymore? Don't exist anymore. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't jive with a creator god. No. Do creators like tend to do that? No. No. Anyways, I just love being a Christian. <laughs> it sucks. That's your final statement. <laughs> I love it. And and not believing in hell has like not impacted that in any way shape or form. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I'm proving proving the testimony's wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you are a Christian that is that's willing to go to hell. Yeah, but if I really if I thought God would send everybody to hell, I would probably not be a Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, where DL is often talking about weird bits of Christian media. Find us on the web as well. Also, we love getting emails from listeners. You can find the links to our website, handles, and email in the description of the podcast episode. Support the show on Patreon and get monthly extra episodes on evangelical culture for as little as $1.50 a month. DL's book, Myth of the American Dream, is available anywhere you get your books. And lastly, artwork for this season was designed by Zach Bard and theme music by Forrest Johnson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>